0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyphers Theatre Podcast, which is a podcast for university students and recent graduates who are interested in pursuing a career in theatre. My name's Will Hollyhead. I'm one of the co-artistic directors of Cyphers. And I'm Marcus Baisley, co-founder and one of the other co-artistic directors of Cyphers. This week we
1: had a great chat with Catherine Soper. Kath is a playwright, she studied English literature at the University of Cambridge and then went on to train in writing doing masters at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. While she was at Central she wrote her play Wishlist which she continued to develop afterwards and that went on to win the Bruntwood Prize for New Writing which meant that it was produced at the Royal Exchange in Manchester and then transferred to the Royal Court Theatre in London. We had a fantastic chat with her, looking at her journey from university drama through to professional playwright.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I certainly found it very interesting, very inspirational and hope you do too.
1: Hello, Kath. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Hi, it's an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to see you. Um, how? Well, it's to start with, how, how are you? How's, how's this world mad year been
2: uh, I mean it sort of feels like it's still at the beginning of it as it but then I sort of feel like I'm still in March or so being like man the American election's a really long way away and um, now we're really having to worry about it and yeah I, I it'll be a year like no other I hope well,
1: yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> <think it's> <laughs> uh, yeah. It has been. I said time has just done weird things this year. Mm. Um, though I suppose thinking about time, we can do a bit of a let's let's rewind time now, and we can think a little bit about. I suppose um, because we we've obviously known each other for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, over ten years anyway.
2: Yeah, um, we would probably have met in like maybe two thousand and seven.
1: That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just sort of thinking back to kind of pre-university and going, what, my, my memory of you would be to say that, and this might not be fair, but I feel like you you loved theatre and, you know, we were, obviously, we the the wonder that is Anne Bower's drama group in Fleet, mm-hmm. which has produced so many, so much talent. And I mean so, that. So, without, so without, many
2: yeah. literal gems on the stage of the National Theatre and the Royal Court Theatre, and the Soho Theatre, it's it's expanded so far beyond the living room.
1: It, yeah, it's amazing. It's literally amazing. Um, and my memory of that with you is to say that you loved theatre, you loved acting, but acting was never something that you thought this is like my, this would be my life. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I think so. I really enjoyed it. But for instance, I, I never thought about applying to drama school to act, for instance. Mm. Like, I I really, it was the best part of my week doing speech and drama with all of you guys at Anne's, but it wasn't something I was, that I loved to the point of going, how do I make it so that I do this every single day? Mm.
1: So university was quite a natural choice in terms of there was no, there wasn't an alternative as such. It was like, well, I'm going to go to university and, and and study English in your case.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, to be honest, it, it was sort of a given that I would do English in my mind ever since I learned that that existed um, as an option. Like I never thought about doing any other subject. It was so I yeah I think it's that thing where for me drama was almost like one of the components of that wider sphere mm. of of English and li- literariness and literature and theatre and poetry and things it was all part of this one um this what this like this one umbrella that was what I wanted to to study
1: and uh, so was was going to going to Cambridge was writing in your head at that point or were you just going to English, going to Cambridge to study English, and that was was just a journey in itself?
2: I think, like... I had an idea that I would write maybe in some capacity, but I spent most of my adolescence, like... sort of just looking out the window, wishing I was somewhere else, or looking into the internet, wishing I lived in there in some ways. Like, it's... it wasn't something that like i i hadn't really written much i sort of thought i would be a writer in the way that every kind of young person who really likes english assumes that's the job that you do <laughs> um but it wasn't i i i had never like i mean I, I suppose like when i was at school i'd like helped co-write like a kind of short play but even then i don't think i've really put the joined the dots together for this to be something that I would want to do. It was really only when um, I got to Cambridge and saw other people writing plays. And I think then it felt not like something that I would do as an adult far away in the future. And I didn't have to worry about it at that point or make any plans. Um, I It seemed like you literally could write a play and have it on here potentially. And that was when all of it sparked.
1: So so actually the university then started facilitating your opportunity to write. That was
2: Yeah. I mean it as I'll probably go on say it didn't really work out that way because <laughs> I didn't actually get anything performed, but it was it, it was the thing that helped me look at these two things that I that I liked the idea of in isolation, put them together and realize that maybe that's what I wanted to do more seriously
1: so then going thinking of of your time at university then what's what sort of drama related stuff were you doing then
2: I I was still acting then but I think one of the things that if I hadn't had known before the thing that really made me realize I didn't want to act in any kind of professional capacity was like doing sort of you know 10 auditions or something and not getting any parts i was just like i just found that way too dispiriting um whereas applying to put stuff on as a writer and getting it rejected still crap but i was kind of like right back to the drawing board (laughs) keep working away at it and i felt able maybe to bounce back from rejection in a way that I just did I I didn't want to with acting because I was kind of like I can't change my face I can't make myself look older than I am but I can change and improve what I'm writing and so I guess I felt I just had much more agency around that um but yeah it it's this interesting thing where um the like drama scene so to speak when I was at uni, was um, really diverse and really big, but mm. it had, as far as I, I could tell, like a lot of its own kind of codes and rules, and because it was so competitive, it meant that if you wanted to like put something on as a writer, it and it was just you, and you didn't necessarily have like somebody on board as a director, somebody on board as a producer, somebody on board as a lighting designer. You didn't like. It wasn't very easy if you didn't already have the friends who would kind of put you in touch with other people or friends who would give help you out Mm. to make that happen. Because otherwise, you'd be applying just be like, "I'm just me, and I have no real experience directing," and I'm and I've got my application here in this script, and versus a load of people wanting to sort of put on a really amazing production of, like, I don't know, Streetcar Named Desire or something, and they've got everyone on board already. And clearly they look like the kind of safe pair of hands that you want to give your theatre to.
0: Beyond, um, obviously, all you've said about the kind of extracurricular drama side of university and, I suppose, what you got out of the challenges of that, Mm. are there any particular things that you can pinpoint within the experience I suppose more formally of going to university and doing a degree that you're glad you got to experience whether that be that because you can now use them in your writing career or just because you enjoyed them
2: I think like in loads of ways it was so good for the way that I work now to do the degree that I did like there are some elements like I don't know like there was one essay that a supervisor gave me on uh, A Winter's Tale about the structure of it that I now look back on and I'm like, have I just been like recapitulating that essay in like so many different pieces of work because for some reason it really caught fire in my mind. Um, like I think the essay was basically about The Winter's Tale is a tragedy up to the point where everything, where the 16 years pass and then it's and then it basically breaks through the end of a Shakespearean tragedy into a like a, a sort of a redemption narrative. And the very idea that like y- that like you could break through the end of a play for, like has kind of lived in my mind ever since for some reason. And so there are loads of like things like that academically that were really, really helpful to me and have kind of lived on with me. But also, just I think the doing a subject that didn't have very much contact hours and having a lot of independent study is the kind like gave me the sounds like a CV or like an interview when I say, but it gave me the kind of skills that I use to this day. Um, like I for research particularly because I write a lot of very research-heavy things, and I research often as a way of kind of. Um, me hoping that the subconscious part of my brain will like click with something as I'm doing something unconnected to the writing on the surface. Um, And all the ways that I kind of burrow into my research is how I learned doing my dissertations. Like it's the same sort of approach. So all of that is like, literally, I, I mean, I still feel when I speak to a lot of my friends that have stayed in academia, I feel like i have a lot in common with their existence in a lot of ways
1: <laughs> yeah definitely definitely i think i think we underestimate often the skills that we learn doing these sort of degrees where we are on our own working away particularly i suppose as writers and directors but also i think you know uh, Akshay, who was an actor we spoke to last week was saying how actually you know as an actor you spend a lot of time on your own in your room working on a script like it's still actually those skills that you develop at university are actually still really useful. Um, so then, with you, then went on to train at Central.
2: I did, yeah. When yeah, did yeah, yeah. that
1: sort of idea start to form in your head of something? Or maybe I, maybe I should go and get some training.
2: I think I knew when it got to kind of my third year, and I was still not getting any of like I think. Cause I, I wrote two really long plays when I was at Cambridge, and I think I wrote one slightly shorter one that was maybe, like, an hour or so. And I think by the time I'd kind of done my maybe third or fourth application to put on something I wanted and not got anything out of it in third year, I sort of thought, like, I need to... I knew that it wasn't doing that I, that my confidence was in a not great place and it was not and I knew that there were things in my writing that I needed to work on like I knew that I was really obsessed with the way that people spoke dialogue wise and I knew that I was obsessed with characters and I knew that I kind of had a sense of the way that I wanted characters to change and progress but I didn't know how to do plot and I didn't know how to do scene structure and I didn't really know how to do conflict um and because I was sort of I kind of felt like I was coming up to the edge of how much I could progress without any any other help or feedback and I think I was also kind of wanting to try and find some sort of safe space I guess where the learning was the point and I wasn't like trying to get something as good as it could be, submitting it and getting rejected, mm-hmm. but that I was as in part of a conversation of trying to like, like of a, it, where it was a given that I want this to be better and I need to work out how to do it. Um, so I think that was the thinking that I had. And so I looked up a lot of the writing, the, like playwriting particularly, Masters across the country. And at the time, I think it might be different now, um, I'm not sure at the time centrals was the only one that was really properly writing focused um because i think like i did look at the i think rada has a text and performance one yeah. that i looked at really briefly um but i it like i was kind of like it's not writing focused enough for me yeah that text um, and
1: performance one is is much broader and yeah you i mean the i suppose the advantage of that is that it gives you the opportunity to explore lots of different things but mm-hmm. yeah the disadvantage is it it hasn't got that narrow focus on that particular type of training, yeah,
2: yeah, and my feeling was basically that I wanted to do it at a drama school instead of a university because actors would be around and directors would be around. And I kind of just thought it would i i had a feeling after after being at like Cambridge for three years, I was like i wanna I wanna be with some real actors <laughs> no that's mean um no i um i I just wanted to be in a more completely drama focused area especially because i didn't do drama gcse and i didn't do theater studies a level and cambridge doesn't really have a drama course they've got an english drama and education course but not an actual drama course so and the and the and the drama like all the departments for that are like completely the other side of cambridge where like you don't go if you're not part of it and so i was kind of like this is i think the environment maybe that i've been missing out on
1: Interesting. That's, yeah, so it's an opportunity to not just to hone a craft, but also to engage with a a different group of people and a different community and to start to bring that kind of potential collaborator network a little bit more around you. So I, I know a lot of people, when they come into the end of their degree, are going starting to think oh should I should I do a master's what what mm. and and also doing that the inevitable weighing up of uh, a master's degree versus the expense which we all have to kind of work out yeah um from your experience uh what what are the kind of like headlines of what you, you what you've taken away from doing a master's I mean we'll come on to wish list and and mm. that um <laughs> whole journey but but yeah just sort of generally that experience
2: well, it's an interesting thing because I always want to sort of think to myself, could I have gotten the things I got out of a master's some other way if I hadn't had access to the money or like if I was trying to do it now and like or like even what I did, my, I started mine in 2013, which is like seven years ago now, everything's so much more expensive than it was even then. Like, mm. it, when I I, like my eyes water when I look at the prices of a lot of them. Like one of the things I think that was the most useful was the way that Central did our playwriting masters was that when you did your um, sustained independent project, which is basically like your dissertation, which for the writing masters was a, you could choose between either a film, a play, like a radio play, or like a few episodes of a TV series, I think. and you got to, out of a list, choose your mentor for who would basically be... Okay, essentially, you're kind of like your supervisor or your tutor yeah. for it. And I'd never had a rela- a sustained relationship with one person where they would basically be like, okay, well, n- I, now that you've told me the idea for your play, can you go away and write it on, a, like, scene by scene on a load of cue cards, and then we'll discuss the scenes. Like, the 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 interaction of, like not just sitting at my laptop and at the, and like typing and things came out and planning in advance and thinking about the pros or cons of different uh approaches before I'd even started a like written a word was like probably the most valuable thing for me personally um and in some ways that potentially I could have gotten without doing a master's if I'd known that I needed that. Mm. But it would have been a case of contacting somebody to try and find a mentor. And like a lot of, um, I mean, in the same way that I guess a lot of kids write to actors being like, can you help, I've got into drama school, I can't afford it, can you help subsidize me? That sort of like, it feels a bit like a wing and a prayer, but I I sort of think I potentially could have done that without all the expenses. but then also there was the benefit of, you know, there was 17 people doing that writing MA in my year, and I'm still really good friends with a lot of them. A lot of them are still working in theater. And so it like, but then again, you can also sort of get those sort of circles from doing like some of the free writing programs that places like the Royal Court do. So there are the it's, it's sort of a ready-made version of a lot of benefits that are harder to find in outside of that. Uh, training environment i guess does that make sense
1: yeah absolutely yeah definitely so then to take you see we started to get there already the, that period then coming out of central how how were you feeling then and, and what were the kind of challenges and concerns at that point
2: well i'd written a play as part of as like so by like the thing that that uh, I came out with at the end of central was I'd written a full length play. And I kind of was like, I will just work on that more based on the feedback that I got on that. And I'll send it everywhere I can. Um, I mean, every, everywhere didn't really end up happening. I like, this was the days when ideas tap existed. Um, oh, May well, Rest yeah. in peace. Um, <laughs> so I like remember sending it to, I think I sent it to high tide via ideas tap and i sent it to um, the royal court young writers program and i like after two i got rejected from the royal court writers program twice when i was at cambridge um and then have with the first part of wish list i got in um <laughs> which was i was like oh this was something i didn't i i wasn't able to do before mm-hmm. um and yeah i was also like i was trying to keep myself in an environment like the central environment for as long as I could in some ways. I was like, I went and did a kind of group, a youth group thing with the Almeida that was to do with writing, like writing short plays. And I did the Royal Court one. I think I applied to like um, one of the Lyric or something and didn't get in. Uh, Yeah, all the Scratch Night stuff, I didn't manage to get anything from the back of that. So I was kind of getting a lot of uh, sort of submissions into the void. But then never didn't ever come to anything. So I was kind of feeling like, oh, shit, maybe this is just never going to happen. How do I even do this? Um, but then, basically, at the start of 2015, I think I was like, okay, there, there are the, the sort of prize submission things coming up. There's Papatango, there's Verity Bargate, and there's the Bruntwoods. And I submitted to Papatango, and I submitted to Bruntwoods, and... Um, I think by the time Verity Bargate's deadline came around I was I'd already known that like nothing had come out of Papatango, and um I was kind of like oh I'm really like annoyed by this and I don't have great signal because I'm in the Lake District so I'm not going to bother with Verity Bargate um and was sort of kind of feeling like I think I was working on new stuff at the time uh, uh, like and working in the shop uh I was working in a perfume shop at this point um but yeah, I I had the feeling of like, at least I've got this script. I've got a wish list that I can use as like a calling card script. Mm. And I was basically just hoping at some point that some sort of meeting or some sort of communication would happen off the back of that. And I did at least have like the, like the Royal Court writer script that I did. I'm still in touch with a lot of the people from that now. And I know that, like, some of them started doing scratch night things. So if it had come to the point of it, this was, like, post Bruntwood. But I, at that point, I may have actually been able to, like, bash my way in if I'd, like, sweet-talked one of my friends and been like, please, I just want you to get me into one of these scratch nights. Because they can, like, for when you actually do manage to get them, I like, from all of the people that I've heard, they are really useful in terms of just... It's a load of people who are on the same point in your career as you in a room watching your stuff and then maybe will come up to you and be like, I'm a director and I need to work on this kind of stuff and I like your thing, let's meet for a coffee. It's just like the place where those sorts of connections happen. Yeah. But
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because uh, yeah. certainly from my point of view, I, you know, there's, there's, there are writers I work with now that started that relationship started with the scratch night you know five years ago that i did for free and and now we're you know making yeah exactly so so yeah they're definitely and it's yeah it's interesting there's sort of two things that come out of that that one is the i suppose the desensitization to the constant cycle of application and rejection which i think we all have to get used to but also um it's worth flagging you know can you talk a little bit about you know, working in the perfume shop and just doing stuff you're doing alongside? Because I think we don't, we're not very good in this industry generally at talking about all the stuff we're having to do on the side to make make mm. this career sustainable.
2: Well, I think like what I found was that, because I started working at Penhaligon's when I was at Central. And so I got into the habit of, you know literally in my lunch break sitting in the staff room i'd get my laptop out and i was working on wish list. like mm-hmm. it i'd sometimes i often especially when i had like sort of like in that period where i was writing that play and i had like only a few months to basically get it into the shape where i wanted to submit it i would come out of the shop afterwards and i'd be like okay it's 7 p.m i've just finished work i'm gonna go and sit in the starbucks around the corner for another two hours and work on my play. And, they, and it was basically kind of just a really useful way of scheduling around that work. That I think, again, with writing in some ways, it's easier than with anything else. You can write on the tube on the way into work. You can write in your lunch break. You can write after work. You can write on a Saturday. Like if you're doing a, a Monday to Friday, it's... Uh, yeah, And I and I sort of also found like I really loved the people that I worked with and I loved that job and I also had this feeling of like well if writing doesn't work out I wouldn't hate becoming a manager at Penhaligon's but then that's something I was lucky in that sense in that I was at a job that I found actually really fulfilling in lots of ways and that I would have been happy to keep going in.
1: I also remember you saying to me that because as a writer, and I think this is the case for any part of theatre, your kind of creative fuel comes from real life, <laughs> and actually having a having a job, a job, job was part of that that fuel. Like it, it, when you're meeting people, having seeing real conversations, etc.
2: Yeah, exactly, and it's it's that thing where especially working in a field like retail the people you work with are really diverse so much more diverse than if I'd gone into some into a grad job or into an office job straight away like I don't know if I could count the nationalities of everyone I worked with on both hands like and people were coming from like so many different parts of life and it like it's that I think one of my favorite um tweets I've ever seen is retail work is telling a story in nine parts because a customer keeps coming in Um, and the amount of sort of life experience I feel like I got a window into from all of my colleagues that was different to mine was really useful and also just engaging with people as a shop worker was illuminating in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, it keeps you connected to the real world in a way that to be honest, I've missed so much this year. Mm.
0: Can I um, maybe take it briefly back into to writing again and and ask a bit about the the Bruntwood Prize? Um, I mm-hmm. suppose maybe for people who, who are listening to this, who are writers who've written something, um, you know what's the what's the process of of applying and anything else useful to know about that and just your journey to to winning that prize
2: so i mean i think we're not just with the bruntwood but with like lots of the other writing prizes for plays that exist it's actually it tends to be really simple now most of the time it's literally just submitting it over email and because like at least bruntwood and Papatanga are both always anonymous so you don't have to submit any kind of supporting materials. You don't have to submit any kind of application in any way. You don't have to fill in forms about like this play is amazing and you want it because of this reasons, which like I always found really, really difficult to do. Um, I find selling my own work much more difficult than I I, I wish I was better at it. Um, but yeah, with the way that those prizes work, the anonymized ones, they, it literally is just almost a case of upload your script, give us your email, and that's it. So it's, and I, but I think the useful element of them is knowing with um, prizes like that, that you, that it's going to be going to be read by somebody who doesn't know you, who, but who is in the industry in some way, shape, or form. So I, I think for Bruntwood, it happens every two years and they kind of start the, in the past, in the past, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it'll be happening next year, fingers crossed it will, but um, they open it for applications, for for play entries in January and and the closing date is in June. So you've actually got this really nice long period where you can actually just stay in January if you hear about it then be like, okay, by June the 5th, I'm going to have written this play that I'm going to submit and I think, most people end up submitting on the last day anyway. But they also, through the process, tend to upload a load of really amazing resources for writers, like videos, video lessons with playwrights and articles by playwrights and that kind of thing. Just to kind of keep the sort of ball rolling as though it's almost like a little club where like this the type of period when you're working on the play to submit here. And if you get into the top 100 Uh, plays I think then you get like I think I think as far as I'm aware like a full page of feedback from the Royal Exchange which is the theatre in Manchester who runs it.
1: It's also it's interesting I hadn't thought of um, the anonymity as being something that helps you as the writer I'd always thought of it as being a way of kind of stopping nepotism or like you know that the judges knew this person but actually I hadn't there's something really protective about the fact that people you you don't feel judged as a person so much
2: yeah absolutely like it's I think the one of the reasons that I tend to that I'm drawn to writing in the first place is often to express things that I don't necessarily like want to talk about or I don't know how to talk about or I'm working out something emotionally that I can't really necessarily put my finger on or like summarize that's the reason it's a play and it's not a summary <laughs> like so not having to put any supporting material with it just letting the words on the page do the work and it being judged in the kind of vacuum in a sense i yeah it, it it i found it like you say really protective
1: um were there any points yeah. with all of these sort of submitting of Of this of this play particularly, but any play really, that where hitting that send button felt really hard.
2: Oh man. Um evidently it did with Verity bargate because I didn't even (laughs) hit the send button. I think after like two, where I was kind of like, I where I was sort of like, Brum was the long shot and that's not gonna happen. So it was kind of a bit of a shot in the dark. I was sort of like, oh god, I feel a bit like demoralized Um, and I think sometimes with the same play it can be hard to kind of pull yourself back again and again and go no I do believe in this play because by that point like I'd written it like a year ago Mm. and I was like I don't know if I believe in this play I've read it again I don't think it's really that great like (laughs) all I'm hoping is it's like a kind of something that will lead to some sort of conversation or somebody saying, there's promise in this. Mm. Like, Because another thing that you get told a lot is that like, with your calling card script, no one produces that. Like you just send it to theaters and you maybe get like a conversation with them and they'll commission you to write something else. It doesn't happen with like the initial play you're sending out. So in some ways that thought I had, which is that like this play itself, it's prob's never gonna go on anywhere made me very free in the writing of it mm-hmm. and to like than in the submitting of it because all i was do- like in my mind i was just saying like this is me do you like this um uh, do you want to go any further talking to me yeah, have a chat. Ra- yeah. yeah rather than like this is the play even though that is what bruntwood is about i so i think i in some ways I was doing it just as a sort of this is what you do you just send the things out rather than am I ready for this play to go on do I think this play is, re- is ready to go on it was almost just like this is what you do you've just got to keep sending them out
1: yeah well, that's 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 great I think that's a really good way of thinking about it as well so but obviously the play the play did happen it did go on yeah yeah you know, won the Bruntwood and then um just briefly um before we come on to I mean you've had loads of advice in this already but um before we come on to sort of any specific bits of advice uh how how did winning the Bruntwood change things
2: like like I did not really have a career before the Bruntwood and now I do like it's the most transformative thing that's ever happened in my life by a long shot and I think not even just the very fact of people knowing I'd won it and therefore being interested, but the process of having my play on. Like, to a degree, when I found out that I'd made the shortlist, I'd made the top ten, I thought to myself, like, okay, this is something I can use to make sure it goes on. Some, I, I, That was the first time I really thought about maybe I should put this on in a fringe capacity. Maybe it could actually... Be useful for me because I, 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 it's funny thinking about it now. I had just not even thought of self producing up to that point because I just didn't assume, I assumed my work wasn't ready or good enough. And it was sort of only with that vote of confidence that I kind of thought, maybe I can actually, uh, duel in this fight. <laughs> um, and so I, that I, when the shortlist happened, I kind of said to myself, if you don't win you have to try and do something with it and make it happen in some way because this is the biggest vote of confidence you've mm-hmm. ever had with it and then and i also that like like i think a few weeks before the ceremony itself the exchange told us those of us who didn't have agents on the shortlist they were like are you okay with us sending your script out to agents um and i met the um lovely Jonathan Kinesley who would become my agent uh right before the ceremony so before I knew that I'd actually won and he told me how much he loved the play and so even if that hadn't I hadn't won I would have gotten hopefully an agent out of it Mm. I would have had that sort of change in the way that I looked at my own work but then the process of actually being able to work with a professional director with like the wonderful Matthew Zia and to work with a literary manager and to see it really go from page to stage. I mean, it was kind of being thrown in at the deep end (laughs) to um, have it first on at the Exchange and then at the Royal Court, but it, as like the the very first time that I have really seen that happening. But it's a really interesting thing to think about because I, I've not even really said this, when I was at Central, I... Really thought I was pro- I was going to be doing sort of writing much more avant-garde, weird pieces of work. I that was where my mind was at the time, and I almost wrote Wishlist just because a um, uh, because I thought I was writing something that would never go on, and like seeing. I think it was maybe even just in the tech rehearsals at the exchange I looked at some of the scenes in that play and I was like oh my god this is actually this feels like me and this feels like the sort of stuff I should be writing this feels like my heart and I hadn't had that kind of north star guidance about not just who do I submit to how do I like get this to be better but like what should I be writing about in the first place and how should it feel how should I feel about the things that I'm writing what is the sign that this is not just something I'm writing for the sake of it but something meaningful that is hopefully going to touch people and like uh, in the way that I want to and and I think also I guess just made me realize that there wasn't some kind of uh particularly clever or cool bar i needed to meet for my work to be worthwhile i kind of had to just be honest as kind of saccharine as that sounds that when i was sort of thinking about writing really weird stuff it wasn't actually it was me trying to hide rather than trying to reveal myself and now if i were to write something that was more um that was more avant-garde i'd be doing it with the knowledge that actually i still need to be being honest with myself and writing something directly from the heart of me rather than trying to do something where i'm like that's what the cool people like and that's what the cool works look like because i can like work and love and admire work and it's still not be the kind of thing that I should be writing and that's a really weird thing to grapple with that a play you can fall in love with and just be like oh I wish I had written that and realize but I couldn't write that and I shouldn't try and write something like it because unless it's I'm doing it in a way that's uniquely myself
1: that's that's great I really like that that's a really lovely <laughs> way of putting it and I think that leads us ne- neatly onto uh advice really because I think you know that was a, a lovely bit of advice but are there any kind of nuggets or I suppose that from your experience if you were to if you had a couple of things to say to uh, someone who was at university coming to the end of their degree or just out of university and going I think writing is what I want to do have you got any little bits that you, you'd want to say to that person
2: oh man okay like I think probably the main thing I would say is just f- make sure you finish something. Like it's really easy to get to the point of sort of running out of steam a little bit when you started something and abandoning it and then starting something again and then abandoning it. And especially if you're kind of coming to it a bit later than you feel a lot of other people have, or you are sort of feeling like you need to be catching up on yourself. There's so much pressure to write something perfect before you've even got anything down and I guess what I would say is you almost you need to get your kind of little baby plays out first like as in it's that weird thing where people talked about wishlist as being the first play I'd ever written and I think when I was asked is it your first play I was kind of like it's my first like proper play because I didn't want them to ask about the things I wrote when I was at uni because I was like there's no way I'm ever showing any of those to anyone again but like the it was actually the third play I'd written And I needed to get all the other stuff out before I could even think about writing that play. Mm. Um, Just because it was more mature than my other work and it was more, um, I was stricter with a lot of the structure and that sort of thing because of like my mentor telling me that I needed to summarize every scene on a cue card and it, which was really useful but I think it's you only get to these points when you finish stuff otherwise it's kind of like the thing that I've often said to one of my friends is that it's um, otherwise it's kind of like running 10 meters off the starting block 10 times and then assuming you can try and do a marathon straight away like you need to kind of go through the practice of seeing it through to the end before before doing anything else and you learn so much just by doing that and so yeah, with a lot of people I know, the cheerleading is just to just finish it and then go back and redraft it. And uh yeah, it there's a um a way that I think it's a prose writer actually who talks about this about saying like sometimes it feels like when you write your words become concrete and nothing can be changed about them because that's just the way it happened. And if that's the way that you write, then you need to plan really well. Or you need to be really open to, I can take this out and I can glue it into a Word document somewhere else. And if it needs to come back, it can come back. But actually I can just be brave with trying to push this work into, to be the best it can be and not worrying about if I've written a version of this and I finished it and it's not as good as it can be already, does that mean I'm not talented? Mm -hmm. Like, again, it's that, we've I think a lot of us who go into theatre I mean this is true for me there's this kind of attraction to the idea of being a talented person you almost (laughs) think that's something that you can spot at first sight Mm -hmm. or that it's obvious in anything you do and in some ways that's correct because I sort of look at the very first things that I wrote and I'm like there are like glimpses in here of the stuff that I would write later that I would consider much much better but it there was also so like it was so it, it was as much a verb as a state that I already had so yeah that's, no, that's the bit, that was the big advice
1: <laughs> I think yeah so be brave finish and mm. be prepared to you can change and make it better
2: yeah and not yeah. to feel worried or threatened by that I guess I think a lot of times people will I definitely had this you ask for feedback because it's some you know it's something that you do and then the feedback comes back and you're like this means I'm crap but
1: (laughs) no it just means that you can make it better (laughs) yeah yeah and
2: even somebody giving you the feedback shows that investment in seeing the better version of it someday
1: well I think that that's great and uh, I think that's a lovely place to finish so thank you Kath thanks Kath
2: thank you so much for having me
0: Well, there you go. That was our chat with award-winning writer, Kath Soper. Marcus, what were the the big take-home messages from that for you?
1: Oh, so many. Um, I think think the main thing for me was the resilience um, and just this perseverance of I've got this play and I'm going to submit it and I'm going to submit it and I'm going to submit it and, and eventually something will happen. We all have to get used to rejection a lot in this world. Um, And I think it was amazing how Kath, you know, she went through at university, then coming out of university and and continuing. um, And just, yeah, keep digging in, keep believing in yourself and eventually things will happen.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote down a few because when we did this for the first week and I had to go second, you said what I was going to say. And then I had to talk about like Pirates or something, which made me look a a bit you know eccentric which is so inaccurate um but anyway you've i'm glad i did because that was one i put down as well that you've clearly stolen somehow Um, but anyway to pick another one off the list and Mm. a better one anyway um i'd say it's that idea that if you run the first 10 meters of a 100 meter race however many times you're never actually going to finish the 100 meter sprint that really struck home for me yeah, great. So if you enjoyed that and want to hear more,
1: then subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Yeah, and um, if you want, you can ask us a question on Twitter, um, at Cyphers UK, if there's anything that you want us to cover in future podcasts or just questions that we can answer on social media right back at you. Um, just use the hashtag Cyphers Create and we'll be sure to get back to you. But until next time, that aside, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.